Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we are going to share with you planet eight's top 10 spaceships now, this was decided democratically, as always, between <laughs> intrepid crew, Chief Engineer Bob, Reconnaissance Officer Karen, up in her spy satellite. And to be fair, we, we did not include the spy satellite in our uh, go-round. And yours truly. Uh, straight away, I'm going to kick us off with number 10. Drum roll, please. And the number 10 pick was actually one of my picks, the Thunder Fighter from Buck Rogers in the 25th century. This is the Gil Gerard series um, back in the 80s. And beedy, beedy, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tweaky. <laughs> hey, no. um, we, uh, God, you got me on the beedy, beedy, beep now. <laughs> beedy, beedy, buck. <laughs> we'll have to do favorite robots next. Yeah. yeah. And Dr. Theopolis hung on his, uh, around his neck. But anyway, uh, that predated uh, um, Flavor Flav. Now we've just digressed. Uh, <laughs> let's bring it back into. Oh, my God. Is that where Flavor Flav got the idea to wear the. No, but I, I just think it's interesting. Uh, Coinky dink. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. The Thunderfighter. Yes, yeah, back to the Thunderfighter. This was such a cool ship. Uh, a lot of the sounds for the lasers and and the rockets and stuff were borrowed from uh, Battlestar Galactica's Viper, uh, which which uh, came out a couple of years or a year before Buck Rogers. But that ship was so cool. It had like a little wingspan and the the two like nose cones in the front, and um, it was almost like a hawk or some kind of a uh, bird of prey um very very cool design um made it on my list i'm happy it made it on our top 10 spaceship list um we're gonna go ahead and kick it over to our number nine pick 
on the list goes to Karen. All right. Well, Larry, this was one of my picks uh, from a, what I think we also chose in our top 10 sci-fi movies as one of the top movies, Planet of the Apes. It's the, the Icarus, uh, also known as the Liberty One. Kind of depends where you look. Uh, but the spaceship that took Charlton Heston and the other astronauts to that faraway planet. Or was it that far away? Um, you know, it's an interesting kind of design. I mean, it's definitely more the rocket ship kind of spaceship. Um, seems like, uh, depending on where you look and, and do a little reading, it maybe was just sort of the, the top part of a larger um, space vessel. Yeah, it, all, but, it uh, looks sort of like a nose cone of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. But I always thought it was really cool looking, you know, had uh, all those really sharp angles to it and everything. Um, just looked really neat. And especially like, uh, you know, they're jumping out of it in the, um, we never really get a good a good look at it in space. I mean, we only see it really when it's down in the water, unfortunately, or uh, in escape from the planet of the apes when the uh, the apes use it um, to come back to Earth. Mm-hmm. But I uh, always thought it was a pretty cool-looking ship. And, of course, uh, the inside of the ship doesn't, I don't know, it's sort of that same thing that I would get with, uh, like, the Jupiter 2 and Lost in Space. Like, the inside didn't seem to match the outside sometimes. Because, <laughs> like, the inside of the Icarus seemed a lot bigger, and they had those suspended animation units and everything else but maybe that was like another part of the ship i don't know but anyway always thought it was a cool looking ship and i guess uh from what i was reading it seemed like bob burns might have the miniature he does yeah when i was down at in bob's basement Mm -hmm. uh yeah he has a miniature of it and it's not really miniature it's about like four foot tall two yeah and he had it standing up in the corner so you're just kind of like walking around looking at stuff, and then all of a sudden, oh, look, Planet of the Apes. Neat. So, yeah, you know, that was, uh, that was one of my picks. If, if I can, I'll go back and look and see if I have a picture of it. Maybe we can put it up on the website. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. All right, that was cool. Next on our list, ship number eight. And that goes to Chief Engineer Bob. Yes. I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you around the universe in Fireball XL5. Yes, the <laughs> Fireball XL5 was one of my choices on the list, and it was enough to get up to number eight on our combined list. And, uh, yeah, I always loved the Jerry Anderson's Super Marionation shows. Uh, basically, for the uninitiated, those were the puppet shows back in the 60s where they had the marionettes. And uh, this one, the Firebell XL5, really cool ship. Um, sort of, it's like a elongated ship with fins on the back and a capsule on the front. And the capsule would come off and fly down to the planet if they had to go down to a planet. And uh, when the top opened up, then uh, Steve and Venus would be able to fly out on their uh, space cycles. Hmm. And uh, 
when the other part was still up in space, it was uh, Robert, the robot, that would uh, pilot it. And, uh, you know, if they're just generally flying around, then he's usually the one doing the autopilot thing. But I uh, always loved Fireball X05. Um, a lot of the Jerry Anderson stuff has really cool designs. And, of course, the special effects on those were done by uh, Derek Meddings, who went on to do the special effects in the Bond films. So, you know, special effects in like Moonraker and things by the same guy who did uh, Fireball XL5. And Stingray and Captain Scarlet and all the others. Interesting. No, Bob, I I don't recall. I remember the marionettes. Uh, no, but I'm thinking of Captain Scarlet. Yeah, Captain Scarlet. So was this like a Jeff Bezos design the, where the, the top of the rocket comes off of the ship? Or no, it's from? actually, uh, you know, like the ship is like horizontal. So oh, the capsule okay. comes off the front to go down to, you know, explore planets oh. or whatever. Okay, okay. So, all right, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, I remember I had a uh, Fireball XL5 toy when I was younger back in the day. And uh, one day I found just the capsule and it had like one fin was broken off, but it had the capsule. It had Venus and Steve and the two cycles inside. And uh, I ended up giving it to uh, Bill Winkler, who uh, was a friend of mine and a big Jerry Anderson fan. So I told him, look, you know, point it this way and then no one will know that the one fin is broken off because it'll be in the back. (laughs) Hmm. So, so yes, Fireball XL5. Cool. Uh, we're going to bump up the list to the number seven of our top ten spaceships. This goes to Karen. What you got there, buddy? Number seven. Well, for number seven, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the picks on my list, what I think is still one of the most menacing and coolest looking starships out there the Klingon battle cruiser I know I'm talking about you know the D7 specifically I think the one that appeared in the uh, Star Trek the motion picture but any of those D7 class battle cruisers man they just look you know just so tough and so sharp uh, you know, originally they were created by Matt Jeffries on the original series. You know, the guy just uh, was a brilliant designer. And, oh, yeah. You know, they wanted something that could look like a sort of the antithesis of the Enterprise. You know, the Enterprise was supposed to express a lot of concepts of like freedom and, you know, being the good guys. Well, the Klingons were definitely the bad guys. <laughs> And you could tell just looking at their ships, you know, they looked like uh, if the this, if outer space was a sea, these guys were the sharks in the sea, you know. And, uh, this, well, if, if they were the sharks of the sea, what was the Romulan bird of prey? <laughs> I don't know, maybe a manta ray or something. I don't, I, but uh, yeah, that that Klingon battle cruiser, it's just such a cool looking ship, you know. Um, even with that 
you know, it, it has that long neck on it. It has the, the nacelles underneath it, which I think is the same kind of idea of what they did with the Reliant. You know, they dropped the nacelles and it gives it kind of a, a menacing, threatening look to it. Um, so, yeah, that, this is my, my pick for our seventh spot. And, uh, and it's basically, you know, they've, well, I, I, I don't want to say where it's at now, but through most of the series over time, they kept the, the basic design and just modified it, you know, because it's, uh, it's a classic look. It's iconic. It, it really is. Um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, just the original series. They didn't really have a lot of ships that we that we saw, um, you know, once we got into the films and then the, the later series, obviously, uh, you know, they started coming out with all these different ship designs. But uh, yeah, but it definitely had the coolest theme song of any of the Star Trek ships. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I know at, at one point in time there was an alliance between the Klingons and the Romulans. And when the Klingons had their bird of prey, was it Star Trek three? And they had the bird design under it like the Romulans. Oh, there's, well, there's so many stories of swapped ships, right? Because in the third season of original series, the Romulans are using the Klingon ships. Well, that's because... You know, there's the mystery. What happened to the Romulan ship? Did the guy destroy it because he was pissed off? Nobody knows what happened to that original ship. And then we get the Ro the uh, Klingon bird of prey in the movies. Well, originally the storyline was going to have the Romulans and not the Klingons. But, you know, they'd already started building a Romulan ship and then they switched it to the Klingons. It's like, well, they're now they're using a bird of prey. It's like, okay, whatever. Sure. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a cool ship, and uh, I'm glad we were able to get it on the on the list. Intergalactic yes. cross pollination. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I agree with Bob. Coolest theme song. Dun, 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 yeah, this is a side story. Commander Larry and I and some friends went to the uh, Star Trek uh, Orchestra, the concert in San Jose. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there the entire time waiting for that. I just wanted to hear that live by an orchestra. Mm -hmm. and yeah, they, they finally played it. It was awesome. It yeah. was like halfway through, I think, Bob, yeah. if I remember, because I, yeah. yeah, I was anticipating it too. Yeah, I you know, did that out here in Phoenix as well. And my yeah. only complaint was that I just wish that they'd played a little louder the whole time. It was <laughs> a little quiet. But that was a great, great thing. I wish they'd tour again. Yeah, the CD is out there somewhere. I don't know if it's on Amazon or it might even be on like um, whatever online streaming music service. Uh, oh, I, I bought that sucker. Oh, I did too. I did too. <laughs> yeah, so did I. You can always hit up one of your Planet A crew members and they will send you a burnt <laughs> copy of bootleg. <laughs> Talking bootlegs on Planet A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, going on with our list, we're at the number six pick, and this goes to Chief Engineer Bob. Bob, well, what do you got for us? Surprisingly, I think I was the only one that, that chose this. I almost did. I told you why I didn't, though. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll get into that. I, I chose the Martian War Machines from War of the Worlds. And, uh, yeah, Karen did bring up that they didn't fly through space. And it's like, well, you know, they did. 
they're inside of meteors, but uh, yeah, but they did fly. Not, you know, I I could have picked the at at too. Well, they're from it? they're from space. So I would say they're <laughs> you know they're spaceships, right? Well, but I yeah, mean, I, I thought about that too, and and my dilemma was that we never saw them in space. But to Karen's point, the at ats when they landed, they didn't fly; they walked. Yeah. Okay. Or at least okay. the Martian. The Martian machines are really, really cool. So they I mean, technically, they walk. Well, because they had those little energy legs, right? But, you can't um, really see them, but they're so yeah. iconic and just one of the coolest designs in motion picture history, I think. And oh yeah. Everyone remember, you know, whether it's the design of the ship, the look of the ship, the sounds of mm-hmm. the ship. This is like. Such a cool representation, and uh, you know, you had multiple ships in the movie, and mm-hmm. they just you know, the way they cruise along ominously, and they have the big uh, I don't know, what, we, what do you want to call it? The uh, coming out of the top, but you and know, the sw- head. or whatever the yeah. snake like head, snake like yeah. head yeah. coming out of the cobra, it's like a cobra. Yeah, you know, so it's like, yeah, you know, it's like a stingray with a cobra head and shooting rays everywhere. It's very, very cool. So, yeah, I definitely had to pick that. And just the, the aesthetic, I mean, the gold, the shiny gold color and the green mm-hmm. tips where the rays come out. Um, yeah, I loved it. So, yes, I did pick the Martian War Machine. It's a good pick. I mean, I, I uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into a discussion when we share our, our – top tens for each of us and, and some honorable mentions if we have time. Um, but yeah, I agree. It, it's an iconic ship. There's, there's really nothing that looks quite like it. Um, you know, since th- that, that film came out and, uh, like you said, Bob, the sound, the look, the laser, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's a great, great ship. Um, and not to men- not to mention the, uh, the special effects, Back oh, in, yeah, was I mean, it 57? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. they, they were amazing for their time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it was wise, whoever, you know, right away I think of the Tom Cruise remake, not to try and copy it, not to try and, you know, right. update it, but let's try a three-legged, you know, walking machine or, you know, whatever they did in, in that iteration of the film. But, uh, yeah, those those ships really, really stand out even to this day. And, and hey, they made it on our number six list. We're going to kick it up a notch. Number five on the list goes to back to Chief Engineer Bob. What do you got yes, for us, Yes, yes. Uh, number five. I was kind of hoping that Fireball XL5 would hit five, you know, just to uh, – <laughs> but, but it didn't. Anyway, number five is uh, – I think I'm the only one that uh, chose it and probably the only one who even heard of it. But it would be Captain Harlock's Arcadia, oh, which Captain is a very Harlock. cool ship. Now, there was actually two Arcadias in the, t- in the original TV series. There was a blue Arcadia. But then in subsequent series, which supposedly came before the TV series, there was a green Arcadia. And that would be the one that I would choose. So it's a, a, a long ship, almost like a... Uh, like a battleship, but 
it has a huge skull and crossbones on the front of it and a galleon on the back because, hey, he's a pirate, right? <laughs> so you got to have the galleon in there. And uh, it's just a very sleek, very cool look uh, designed by Leiji Matsumoto. And uh, he also, uh, well, we'll get, in, we'll get into more of his designs later. But, um, no. yeah, Captain Harlock. There is a, uh, like I say, there's the original TV show. There's a... Uh, the Arcadia SSX TV series, My Youth in Arcadia movie, and there's a live-action Captain Harlock movie. So you can see the Arcadia in all of those. Yeah, you know, I'd heard of Captain Harlock, and I've, I've seen cosplay of the character, but I, if I saw the ship, I don't quite recall. And I must have seen it, you know, at a show or something in a mm-hmm at a booth and, and, uh, I'm sure it's all over the DVD covers and whatnot, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely suggest, Hey, go and check out one of the series of the movies or whatever. Um, when did this come out, Bob? Uh, the original Captain Harlock came out, I want to say like the mid seventies. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they, I think the live action was the last thing made and that was probably yeah, about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, and you're saying the stuff that came out after the original was more like a prequel? Yeah, My Youth in Arcadia was the movie, and then they did Arcadia SSX as the uh, follow-up series to the movie. Okay. And yeah, that was all how the ship was built. It was actually a friend of Harlock's that uh, built the ship, and uh, when he was dying, he basically put his essence, his soul, into the engines of the ship. So the ship was actually, uh, could be, you know, uh, controlled by him or his conscience. Interesting. So was was the ship kind of self-aware? At points, yeah. And he would, you know, he would would fly around the universe and plunder. Just sort of a, a side on Captain Harlock. Real quick story. If you remember Star Blazers or Space Battleship Yamato, I'll, I'll use the Star Blazer names. Uh, Derek Wildstar basically lost his brother, Alex Wildstar, in the battle near Mars between Earth and the Gamelons. And in the series, Alex's ship drifted through space and he wound up on Iskandar. So when they get to Iskandar... He's there, and they have a big reunion. Well, Matsumoto's original idea was that basically Alex Wildstar would drift and basically become Captain Harlock. <clears throat> he would, you know, get a crew together and a ship and all this other stuff. But it was just kind of it was just kind of take the story way off into some other direction. So. Uh, that was kind of abandoned, and then he did the Captain Harlock series after. Huh. Interesting. Well, I, I will have to check that out. Okay. We're a little more than halfway through our list of top 10 spaceships. Uh, number four goes to yours truly. The Eagle has landed. 
Space 1999, the transporter that they used on the show, which is interesting. We were talking about this beforehand. I don't think we've ever mentioned Space 1999 <laughs> in, in almost 100 episodes on Planet 8. So here we are talking about Space yet, 1999. Yet another Jerry Anderson show. Was it Jerry Anderson? It was Jerry Anderson and special effects by Derek Meddings. Huh. Well, there you go. Well, and yeah, and we all three picked the eagle and it made the list. Yes. And yeah, and we've never talked about it. So it's that's kind of, yeah, it's like, oh, I guess we were all watching Space 1999 at some point. <laughs> Stay tuned for a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> um. What I remember, you know, they, they they had that moon base, moon base alpha, wasn't it? Yes. On, on Space yes, Air. because in 1999, there's a uh, accident, an explosion on the moon, which pushes it out of Earth's orbit. Right. And so they're on the moon, on their moon base, drifting through space, unable to control it. So they, it just takes them on whatever adventures they get onto. As, as, uh, as the moon takes them throughout the universe. In a way, they were lost in space. Another program, sorry <laughs> about that. Well, what was cool is that there were different iterations or very variations on, on the initial ship. You can have the transporter eagles, and they had like pods where you could, you know, put mm-hmm. more people and take them around. The reconnaissance eagle looked very similar to the pod eagles and um they came equipped with different types of sensory devices for exploration and stuff like that they had a rescue eagle it reminded me of thunderbird 2 i think it's bob will know thunderbird 2 with the different Um, pods and all that yeah yes thunderbird 2 you know, I used to, because we used to get Thunderbirds like in the morning before we would go to school. And I, I always liked Thunderbird too, because I don't know, it just looked, even though it was kind of like big and fat, it was kind of cool. You know, it would take off and it had different pods and stuff. And the Eagle was sort of like that too. You know, it was modular. You had the cockpit, but it could, they could load different things into it. And I just remember with Space 1999, there were like I it, it drew me in for the eagle, for the special effects on the moon, and the music. But like man, sometimes it put me to sleep. Like Martin Landau and Barbara <laughs> Bain, not the most dynamic like actors and stuff. Well, it's funny because you know, I was I was reading a book on Jerry Anderson and uh, he he personally chose uh, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain for the series. But he remembered them from Mission Impossible, which mm-hmm. was probably 10 years earlier. And when they got over there to England to shoot Space 1999, he's like, oh, they look old. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realize that they aged in those 10 years in between the series. Yeah. Well, the, and the interesting thing, and you probably read this too, Bob, is that you know, this was in some ways an extension of, of UFO. Um, you know, they had had plans to do more with UFO and the moon base and everything, and then they just kind of shifted it into a whole different well, story. So, yeah, it was a, was a Sir Lou Grade who uh, mm-hmm. basically was bankrolling all these series for Jerry Anderson. 
he's like, Jerry Anderson wanted to do another season of UFO. And uh, Lou Grade said, no, I want something in space. Just, you know, put them out in space. So, yeah, so he came up with the idea of just blowing the moon out of the orbit and often just off into space it went. They didn't keep the ladies with the purple hair. No, no, they did not. <laughs> Much to many people's regret. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they were a different, they had, they had like a laboratory and then there were like special, you know, modules they had. And I, I will uh, do a quick little plug. It's not part of our sensor suite, but uh, Eagle Moss does have the Eagle One ship available in their collection. Now, I remember as a kid, my neighbor, Daniel was his name. He'd, he'd come visit his aunt and his grandma over the summer, and he brought over this Eagle One that was oh. like the size of like a Pinto. I mean, it was <laughs> huge. Um, and, you know, all of the, the ship, the legs would come off and the rockets and the module in the front would pop off. And that thing was just amazing. Um, well, I think back probably- then it was, I think, I think, uh, was it Dinky or Corgi or one of those, one of those people, one of those companies had, uh, had the Eagles. They, mm-hmm. they had the, the, was it the large one or the small one? Oh, those the are smaller little- ones. Yeah. Like, like I, I remember those two, um, you know, back then they had the, the Mego had the superhero figures and the Star Trek figures and they they had like the bridge of the Enterprise. This this was more like the Star Wars size figures. And I want to say it came out before the Star Wars toys came out. Um, but anyway, well, I mean, yeah, Space 1999 kind of filled the gap between Star Trek and, and Star Wars. I mean, basically, Star Trek was being uh, was getting great numbers in syndication and so they were struggling to figure out whether they were going to do another star trek series or a movie or what the heck they were going to do and jerry anderson jumped in with space 1999 and kind of filled the gap i remember Mm -hmm. they were it was on like saturday afternoons here i think like Mm -hmm. four o'clock or five o'clock or something like that yeah it was on weird times and for some reason i want to say it was on our pbs station in uh down south in LA, but yeah, I don't think it was PBS here. I don't remember what it was on. I think it was on KTVU. Was it on two? I, I think it was Channel Two because they were they were showing Star Trek like crazy. Oh, weekdays they it was yeah. nothing but Star Trek. But Space ninety nine was like I think it was on Sunday because we'd watch that and then we'd jump over to Channel forty four and watch the Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like at an odd time in in the day. Yeah, uh, you know, we we tried to catch it before Grandpa and Grandma started watching. Um, Hee-haw. Lawrence Welk. Mutual Ma. Yes, Lawrence Welk. God. <laughs> yeah, Mutual Ma. <laughs> or the, okay, so or Disney's uh, Wide World of Color. That was on Saturday nights, if if I remember was correctly. That Sunday? That, Saturday, that was I thought Friday. it was Sunday. I, yeah, I thought it was Sunday too. Okay, kids. Well. Closer to our number one pick. We're going to kick it back over to Chief Engineer Bob for our number three pick. Number three was my number one. And uh, and Commander Larry actually had it on his list as well, which I always did. warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it would be 
another Leiji Matsumoto creation space battleship Yamato. Such a good show. Oh, man, I tell you, you know, whether you watch the original show or you watch the newer, like, Yamato 2199 and its sequels or even the live-action Yamato, which, you know, I mean, I'm usually live-action versions of cartoons. It's like they're kind of hit and miss, but Space Battleship Yamato, the live-action, ah, love it. It was good. But the ship, yeah, basically... It was the World War II uh, Yamato that uh, went down in the uh, in World War II. It's, it's sort of a very iconic ship in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the Gamelons are hitting Earth with the uh, planet bombs, and they're basically making Earth uninhabitable, Starshev Iskandar basically offers them the Cosmo DNA, but they have to get out there. So she gives them basically the plans for a uh, wave motion engine. And so they basically equip the Yamato with a uh, wave motion engine to allow it to fly through space. But unbeknownst to her, they also adapted the technology into one of the most awesome weapons on any ship, the (laughs) wave motion gun. And it's not like, you know, fire phasers, boo, 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 there they go. It's like a whole buildup and countdown and put the glasses, you know, put the goggles on and, you know, it's like a big, if you're going to fire the wave motion gun, you mean business because it's not just a quick shoot them up. It's like a big buildup and a big, basically a huge blast that comes out of the front, this big cannon on the front of the Yamato and just usually wipes out whatever it shoots at. Yeah. But it's not something they can like fire off repeatedly. It's like once it fires off, then uh, they've got to like recharge everything for a while. Right. And they, they have all these like cannons like uh, like, you know, that was originally on the battleship and they fire those. And um, I just I, I would always get nervous because it took so long to charge up the main weapon. I was afraid they'd get like hit, you, you know, from one of the from one of their enemies because well they were always getting blasted and well yeah the holes what you would not see in star blazers that you would see in in space battleship yamato is holes would open up you know from a blast and you'd see all the crew members like sucked out into space (laughs) and yes great is it in the same universe as captain harlock no they've never they've never like crossed paths Captain Harlock is off in a universe with like Galaxy Express 999 and Queen Emeraldus and all that. Okay. I thought you mentioned Iskandar. Yeah. Because the Gamulons and the Gamulons. The Gamulons. No, no. What I was saying is originally Matsumoto's idea was that Derek Wildstar, uh, his brother, would become Captain Harlock. But that was... Uh, okay. basically put to the wayside and he later just went back and did his own uh, Captain Harlock series. And, you know, I, I will say as a, as a youth, uh, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, uh, in the Bay area, you were a fan of creature features and, um, Captain Cosmic. 
And, uh, you know, Captain Cosmic was uh, Spectre Man, Ultraman, uh, Space Giant. And I, and I loved all those shows, but it was the, uh, uh, the, the Yamato, uh, that was like almost like a soap opera for kids. We would run home because here's the thing back then, if, if you missed a TV show or something, you, you, there was no videotaping or, you know, TiVo. That was it. You were never going to see that again is what I thought. <laughs> so man, we would run home and. Through the fire and the smoke, we will never give up hope. Oh, my God. I mean, even now, it just stirs emotions in me. Um, well, that's I, I the will, thing. I mean, well, you know, the Yamato, it's like when you get into watching these things, anytime they launch the Yamato at the beginning of a movie or series or what have you, it's very stirring. Yeah. And you hear the, the theme and everything else, and it comes either – crashing out of the ground or th- out of the water if it's in the ocean or whatever and uh it's ba- basically they you know it's not like there it goes it's like you know like like the build up to the wave motion gun there's the big build up to the launching of the ship and uh very stirring yeah it's like like i say your heart swells just watching it well said well said it is very stirring even, even to this day you know james and i my friend james We'd go out to Japantown, and they had a model shop out there. And I remember we we pulled in our money together, and we got that ship. And he is a masterful model builder. I mean, on the on the motion picture Enterprise, he painted in all the little tiles, the Aztec tile design, you know, with brushes and toothpicks. I mean, he that Yamato looked so beautiful, and you could pull the side off. And look at the the gun and the inner workings of it, and you know the crew quarters and the, I mean it was so well designed. I don't know if he still has it or not, but um, man, that is just a it is a great ship. Karen and I kind of talked about it offline because yeah. she had never heard about it before, and I was like, oh, oh the Yamato. <laughs> you, you yeah, I've, I've actually when I went to uh, I believe it was it was the first Silicon Valley Comic Con. And I bought a Yamato that's probably about eh, maybe 18 inches long or so. Yeah. And it has, you know, a remote and you can uh, press buttons and it makes sounds and plays themes. And, you know, you can hold like two buttons down and and you can hear the wave motion gun building up and you take your fingers off and it fires. And it's very cool. And that's like sitting right in the middle of my uh, mantle in the, in the living room. And you guys have to understand, you know, we all have a, a fairly nice collection of all the different science fiction, comic book, whatnot, flotsam and jetsam um, that, that we hold near and dear to our lives. But Bob's collection of like Japanese monsters, kaiju, uh, you know, it, it's very impressive. And when I went over there, and I'm, you know, you always take everything in. But when he showed me the Yamato up on the mantle with the remote control, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Freaking amazing. Nerd guy. You know, you're talking to a man that has, like, life-size lightsabers and, you know, the venom slime and a lava lamp and, you know, whatever. But that, that is pretty cool. That was a nice, nice uh, pickup that you got there, Bob. Yeah, it was actually, you know, it's funny because uh, it was actually Bluefin, I believe, that had the, had the uh, booth there. And uh, it was really kind of like I was looking. They had a really nice Voltron 
like mm-hmm. the Go Lion version mm-hmm. of Voltron. That's like, man, that is so cool. But I uh, gotta go. I gotta go with a Yamato. Yeah, that was a good buy. Um, you know, I have to check with James and see where that ship is because if he doesn't have it, I, the Yamato needs to to be somewhere here in the uh, in the inner sanctum. So uh, <laughs> it'll be on my on my look list. Um, all right. Very cool. That was our number three pick. We're going to come up now to our next to number one, our number two pick of top 10 spaceships. Karen. Well, number two, it's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon. So this made it onto both uh, me and Larry's lists. Yep. And uh, yeah, you know it's it's so tough. There's so many great ships from Star Wars, but I think if you're going to pick one, especially one that's really representative of Star Wars, the Millennium Falcon is the way to go. Um, you know, it's carried it carried our characters through many adventures so mm-hmm. uh just a great ship but it, it's interesting to kind of delve into the backstory of uh millennium falcon you know when they first started the designs for it, it interestingly enough um you know it was going to be much more of a vertical rocket-like ship and uh joe johnson was the the model maker at that time who was working on it and you know, he was working on it, and Lucas is like, oh, it's looking like the Eagle <laughs> from Space 1999. <laughs> so, so what happened, that ship actually became the Rebel blockade runner uh, that we see in, in Star Wars in number four, right? So they, you know, Lucas is like, well, you know, think of a flying saucer. You know, think of something round. He still wanted something that was very hot rodish, though. So think about that. You're, you're told you need to make something that's a hot rod, but is basically a disc. <laughs> that's not an easy task to accomplish, right? You're going to put, right. you know, something, make something look fast and sleek, but it's it's a disc. So he, uh, Johnson had, you know, like four weeks to work on it. And... Um, Probably the most innovative thing he did with that was the offset cockpit on the side. You think about the Millennium Falcon, right? And, and what's so weird about it? Well, one, you've got that slice in the middle, which is that cargo ramp entry area, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. You get those big engines in the back. The whole back end has got, you know, all those circular engines in the back, which look really cool when the ship is taking off, like when it's leaving. Tatooine, and we see that big burst of energy from the ship. But then that weird, the cockpit is so weird, right? It's off on the side, too. So it's, even though, you know, it is essentially sort of a modified flying saucer, it's very different from a lot of the other saucer-shaped ships we've seen in the past. And I think because it has those angled uh, uh, sections that come forward, it gives it that appearance of speed, you know, um, because it comes to a point at the front. It looks like a hot rod almost. Yeah, that's what they wanted, right? The hot rod. So there you go. Well, it was coming off of American graffiti. Well, 
you know, and, and Lucas was into that. He was a, a gearhead. He liked racing. That's why he made American Graffiti. So, right. you know, you're going to give Han Solo a hot rod, and that's essentially what the Millennium Falcon is. It's the hot rod of Star Wars. Well, yeah, and, right. You give him credit because the X-Wing, the Y-Wing, the TIE Fighters, you know, everything else other than the Death Star had the center cockpit that we're, you know, all accustomed to. And, you know, all the dogfights we've seen in World War II uh, movies. And um, lo and behold, they come up with that side cockpit. And now it's just iconic. Um, it's, it's a ride at Disneyland now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and all the other ships were very you know, military in appearance, you know, the X-Wing and the Y-Wing, you know, you look at them and they look like fighter jets, sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean. You know, the Millennium Falcon just, it's, maybe shouldn't work, but it does work, you know. Well, and look, as a kid, I didn't get that Space 1999 Eagle ship, but I did get the Millennium Falcon. That thing was, was not as big as the Eagle, because the Eagle was longer, but... Man, I slept with the Falcon like it was a teddy bear. I mean, I was so... <laughs> well, they also, was it was it Hasbro or somebody made like a big Millennium Falcon that was like a display in Toys R Us, where the, yeah. wherever the Star Wars toys were, they would hang the Millennium Falcon up above that. And that thing had to be, what, about four or five foot long? At least. It, it was disproportionate, but they could, they could get those 12-inch figures into the cockpit. I may be confusing that one with the one at FAO Schwartz in San Francisco because they had this huge port or section of the Falcon and the 12-inch figures could fit into that. But I remember the one at Toys R Us too, Bob. And you know, I'm yeah, sure I think the a- Toys R Us one was like in scale with a three and three-quarter inch action figures. Okay. That, that sounds about right. But, uh, you know, I'd love one of those, but I, I have nowhere to nowhere to put it i i do have a hasbro because kenner lost the license so you don't fit um figures into it but up on the ceiling parked there is that model of the falcon which is just beautiful well there's more ceiling Uh, space up there you could hang one (laughs) watch out where you drill yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny, uh, just uh, as a side note, Karen and I were talking one time. We'd both gotten the uh, metal Captain America shield, not from the film, but from the from the comic book. It's based on that design, and it's it's huge. Oh, it's heavy. Like, what's that? No, it's heavy, too. It, yeah, it's heavy. And, and I said, I, I feel so ridiculous. I had to cover a window to, uh, you know, get the thing to fit. I think, Karen, you... You covered a window. I don't know if it was with the shield, but it was like we were oh. utilizing all space available. Yeah. Back in that place, I, I covered a window with a, a bookcase so I could put <laughs> stuff up. <laughs> hey, in the monster garage on one wall, I boarded up a window. Completely, <laughs> completely sealed it so I could put shelves up. There you go. <laughs> Do what you have to. Hey, you know. It's it's for the collection, the good of the collection. Um, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I I will say not to brag, but your mission commander, because uh, rank has its privileges, has flown the Falcon at Disneyland at least two occasions. 
Um, did not beat the record for the Kessel run, but uh, we did not blow up either. So I was <laughs> very proud of that uh, that endeavor. And I will say, I, I know you know we're in the middle of a pandemic and and all that. But once things are safe, if you guys can make it out to either Florida or California and, and ride that Millennium Falcon uh, ride, uh, it is amazing. So is the rise of the resistance. I mean, obviously, but, uh, so I just noticed when you said millennium Falcon, you said Falcon. Falcon. And, and so, so are you going by Harrison Ford pronunciation? Do we, do we need to say Falcon? I'll get her out in the Falcon. Well, you know, he is the captain of the ship, so uh, I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. You can call it whatever you like. Okay. Didn't you, Lando you know, say Falcon? No, Lando says, yeah, Lando says Falcon. Yeah, so it's, it originally was his ship, so he should know. Well, you know, Chewbacca pronounces it. So, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to side with, uh, with Lando on this. Okay. I, I don't think there's uh, any right or wrong way. Although someone told me they got a kick out of the way. I'm like, yeah, we're going to the movie theater. And I still don't hear it. She's like, oh, you say theater? And I'm like, yeah, what do you say? And they're like, theater. And I'm like, well, it sounds the same to me. Tomato, tomato. But hey, yeah. <laughs> so so but we know Bob uh, sides with Lando. I side with Captain Solo. Walker, what do you call it? Well, <laughs> you can side with Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> All right, kids, you'll have to tune in next episode to see what Karen calls the how she pronounces the falcon. <laughs> All right. What we've all been waiting for, the number one pick of Planet 8's top ten spaceships. And that honor goes to yours truly. This actually showed up on two separate lists, and I'm not going to name the individuals. I think you can figure it out if you listen to our Star Trek The Motion Picture episode. Who's lists they showed up on. <laughs> and that would be the Enterprise, the refit Enterprise, NCC 1701 from Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, Beautiful Karen, ship. What's that? Beautiful ship. Beautiful ship. Karen and I uh, both had that on our list and, uh, you know, as much as I love the Klingon dun 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 when they first show us the refit enterprise, and I've talked about this before in the motion picture podcast, so I won't. That's like really... the three hour fly around, right? <laughs> oh, man. That music is just dun dun. You talk about stirring, right? Like the music for the Yamato. That's what it reminds me of. It was just like, you know, they got the lights on it and stuff, and Kirk's going around. Anyway, it's just. It's an amazing ship. It's a beautiful ship. And they blew the SOB up within like, you know, films <laughs> later. It's like a bluey. We get two and a half movies and it's gone. Well, supp supposedly, from what I heard, is uh, ILM just did not like that design. They just did not like the Enterprise. And so they ended up just blowing it up. Well, there were lighting issues always with it because of the pearlescent paint is 
what I gather, it, it was difficult to light properly. Right. Um, and I know they repainted it. I think when they did five, well, I guess four at the end of four, um, they they repainted it, and I guess it was not the same paint that they had used originally. Um, and I'm not no expert on this. I haven't gone back and compared, but I guess that original paint scheme was just a, a complete pain in the ass to work with. Uh, uh, well, I don't know what they used in the film, but I know when James was, was painting the, the first model that came out of the, uh, motion picture was by matchbox and, uh, AMT Ertl bought the, de, you know, design for them for the kit and, and produced a kit and, um, the matchbox, model was white like it got dirty very easy and rather than the normal decals that you had for models it had stickers and the stickers would peel off eventually um but i remember james we'd have to go to this model shop in berkeley and duck egg blue was one of the colors he'd use mm -hmm. uh in in trying to get the match the the enterprise on the film to the, you know, model that we had. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, beautiful ship, but apparently hard to light and difficult to put together and paint in, in model form. But oh, yeah, it's funny when I, uh, took a tour of ILM, mm. I was, uh, pretty much given almost full access. So it was one floor I couldn't go to because, uh, all the stuff for Solo was on that floor. They wouldn't let anybody in. But uh, I was walking down one hallway with uh, the guy giving me the tour. And I looked in some guy's private office, just kind of like looked out of the corner of my eye. He had the saucer of the Enterprise hanging behind his desk on the wall. <laughs> and it was huge. I mean, this thing had to be like almost, you know, six, seven feet across. Wow. And... uh I was like, oh, can I go look at that? And the guy's like, no, nah, it's somebody's private office. You can't go in there. It's like, oh, man. God. I was just saying, you know, you're, you're sitting there. You got a 40-hour-a-week job, whatever. But for those 40 hours a week, you got the saucer of the Enterprise hanging behind your desk. Yeah. Bob, you should have told him, I swore I won't take it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they did such a nice job. Sometimes when people fiddle with designs, they just get too cute and they mess things up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they took the original design, which was a great design to begin with. And iconic. Yeah. I mean. And, you know, what did they do? They kind of streamlined it a little bit. They streamlined the, the saucer section a little bit. They, they flattened out the nacelles. They kind of moved them, you know, the, the uh, supports for the nacelles. They kind of moved them out a little bit more and gave them a little more like action in the, the angle. Yeah. And the, the dish on the secondary hole, you know, we got a, we got the dish instead of the little disc sitting out, we got the big blue dish and, and it would light up and stuff during the, the film. I mean, it, they just, they made like these very subtle changes that all added up to a much nicer look. It kept the essence. It kept like 80% of the, the look, but then it just added to it. Yeah. There was actually a botanical garden on the lower, the secondary hull. 
Um, the big windows in the yeah. bottom. Yeah. And on, on the model, you know, we we paint that, you know, a different variation of blue, you know, just to highlight that. Uh, very cool. I remember one of the posters, and we talked about this before we recorded it. They came out when the motion picture uh, had first, or after the motion picture came out, and it was a cutaway of the Enterprise, the mm-hmm. retrofit Enterprise, and it had all the crew quarters and sick bay and the engines. And my friend James uh, showed me this link on Facebook where someone built that cutaway model. And the thing yeah. is huge, but it is amazing. I mean, just really, really top notch. Well, what you need to do is go to Facebook and look up Mark Myers. And uh, he does basically builds models, mostly of spaceships. Mm. And he does amazing. I mean, just like screen ready versions of the Enterprise with the lights and everything else in it. And uh, he'll do like the original TV show Enterprise and the front of the nacelles that have the spinning lights. Oh, hi. He reproduces those. It's amazing. That's so cool. It is. It is. Um, You know, and again, a plug for Eagle Moss. They have all kinds of ships. They have uh, the the smaller size, which is larger than a Matchbox Hot Wheel. But then they have like the, you know, $80 version, which is just very cool. Um, Well, look. Uh, that is our top 10 list. Uh, we, what we want to do now is, uh, let's start with Bob, uh, Karen, you can go next or I can go and we're going to share each cast member, cast member, each crew members. (laughs) (laughs) Roll slob here. Yeah. Each crew members top 10, uh, list. And that way you guys will, we'll post it up on the blog spot page too. So you guys can kind of see and look, our top 10 might not be your top 10 please via twitter facebook uh youtube um on our web page share your top 10 did you agree with us should we have had the uh spaceship from close encounters of the third kind should the jupiter 2 have showed up on this uh countdown um anyway bob take it away with with your top 10 list yes and yes um, <laughs> I kind of left most of the Star Wars and Star Trek stuff out of my list because I figured my compatriots here would litter theirs with them. So, that being said, though, my 10th choice was the Razor Crest from The Mandalorian. Surprised no one had that. Number nine was the Jupiter 2 from Lost in Space. Number eight. The Serenity from Firefly. Number seven was The Eagles from Space 1999. Number six, The Moonlight SY3 from Destroy All Monsters. Number five, of course, Fireball XL5. Number four, The Mothership from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You can't tell me that there's a more awesome scene than that thing coming over the mountain when it first appears. Um, Number three was the Martian War Machines. Number two, the Arcadia. And number one, Space Battleship Yamato. 
through the fire and the smoke, we will never give up hope. <laughs> Keep it alive with our star blazers. And here, real quickly, what they would do is they would do a countdown and they would say, 13 more days. And, and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 13 more days until what? Well, they had to get out to Iskandar and then back to Earth before basically the Earth was gone. The Gamma ones. And yeah, they do a whole count. It was like a year out, a year back or whatever. But yeah, they would like do a countdown, like what day it was or how many days into the journey it was in each episode. Oh, shit. You know, and I I will say this, Bob. I, I love the live action. I have it on DVD. But it kind of had this like, because I'd only ever seen the the animated version, the original. It kind of had like a Robin Williams as Popeye kind of feel to it, and and I love the Popeye film with Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. It's <laughs> just kind of like you see the the live action version, and they cast these people very well. I mean, the captain looked like the captain, and the you know the crew and stuff. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, well, we haven't had a Popeye reference in a while, so. so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh. All right, Karen, would you like to share your top 10 or would you like me to do top 10? I, uh, uh, I will share mine and you can. Uh, okay. We'll save the best for last. So. Thank you. Take it away. With my top 10, number 10, I had the. Flying Saucer from the Invaders TV show. Mm, which Number I nine was the Event Horizon from the very creepy movie of the same name. Well, Number really eight. Karen, did, did you like the movie The Event Horizon? Uh, well, as much as you can like a movie that terrifies you, <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I think it's a well-done movie, but it's, it's creepy as all get out. I have to go watch it again. Someone was telling me, or maybe someone posted how how much they they love that movie, and I was like, it was Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill, and I just don't remember liking it that much. So it's, maybe I have to. It's really freaky, but the the ship is perfect for what happens in the movie. It just looks creepy. It's just, oh. it's like the creepy adult version of Bla- the black hole, which was pretty <laughs> creepy nice. anyway, right? Hey, the Cygnus didn't make it on our list. Well, that's because we didn't have Lord Blood Raw with us. This <laughs> okay, um, I'm sorry. Uh, go, go ahead, finish your list. Number eight was the Slave One from Star Wars, Boba Fett's ship, which I guess is being renamed, but I don't know what it is, so I call it the Slave One. Number seven, the Eagle, Space 1999. Six, the Icarus from Planet of the Apes. Number five, the Cylon Raider from the original Battlestar Galactica. Number four, the Klingon Battlecruiser. Number three, the Discovery One from 2001. Number two, the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. And number one, the Enterprise Refit. That is my top ten. And I have all these theme songs in my mind tonight. (laughs) Uh, Okay, very cool. Number ten. On your mission commander's list was the USS Shenzhou from Discovery. I just, uh, I love the design of that ship. It was sleek, it was cool, and they blew the damn thing up like within an episode. So, 
Um, See, anytime Larry likes a ship, it gets blown up at some point. Right? I mean, jeez. Don't uh, get in a rocket ship with Larry. <laughs> kind of like whenever he meets a celebrity. Hey, you know, oh. I, I broke that streak recently, or at least the last convention I went to, so... But, um... Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're talking to the only person that made the Kessel run at Disneyland that didn't blow up the ship. So, <laughs> but that's where. Um, number nine was the Y wing. I I just I love that design of that ship. Um, it was almost like a reverse version of the Buck Rogers because the engines kind of like went out in the back of the ship. Anyway, very cool design. Um. Number eight was the Thunderfighter from Buck Rogers. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that the villain's ship for Buck Rogers, they must have ran out of money because it looked like a flying turd. I mean, it was <laughs> brown. You know, it was just god-awful, ugly design. <laughs> Number seven, the Cylon Raider from the original Battlestar Galactica. Uh, six was the Eagle from uh, Space 1999. Number five was the Yamato. Yes. <laughs> Through the fire and the smoke. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, you know, the Yamato was almost my number four, but but the it, the, the Corvette ship, the, the blockade runner from Star Wars, yeah, you know, in, in a theater, and I, I will forever be able to picture this in my mind, that's the first thing we see flying through space with these lasers chasing after it. Then the Star Destroyer, you know, envelops it and stuff. But it was just so amazing. And, and the overall design, I'd never seen anything like it before. And uh, it, it, it just really, I, I love that ship. Uh, number two was the Millennium Falcon. And uh, number one was the Retrofit Enterprise NCC-1701. So those are our ten ships. Any honorable mentions, my friends, we'd like to throw in there that maybe we didn't quite um, put on our our ten, didn't make ten? I don't know. We mentioned quite a few ships in this episode. I, I threw out there our Planet 8 rocket ship. That, that was my honorable <laughs> mention. Um, let me ask you guys this. What did you think about the Death Star? You know... It's no moon. It, big big ball in space, it's no moon. Had had I, a lot of power. I. It's funny, I didn't include that. I had like the Star Destroyer listed as another one, another option. I had... Uh, Tie fighter and other stuff, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't have the Death Star as a a possibility. Oh, you know. I what? don't know. I guess I didn't think of it that much as a spaceship. Yeah. Although I guess it is mobile, obviously. That's true. Well, I, I it was a different design. You know, nothing. I guess more like a know, space station, though. That's true. You look at the Yamato or the Enterprise. I mean. That, those are beautiful ships. The the Death Star was kind of like a, I forgot to mention my number three. I got so excited. Uh, the the Battlestar Galactica from two thousand four. I I like that ship. That, Do you like that? You like that better than the original? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I like them both. But it's like a big alligator in space. You know the the, <laughs> the design of the thing. <laughs> 
Um, all right, kids. Well, if if there's no other uh, honorable mentions or anything like that, it is time for our sensor sweep. And this go round, I believe Chief Engineer Bob has the sensor sweep. Yes. Well, I recently came upon a book that was actually sent to me by the author called The Career That Dripped With Horror. <laughs> and this is sort of a uh, an overview of the career of Creature Features host John Stanley. Now, oh. John started out writing for the San Francisco Chronicle yeah. as a movie reviewer. And as Bob Wilkins was doing Creature Features, John would send him facts and figures and all that. And then when Bob ended up leaving Creature Features, John took over. Now, of course, this is all very local, whereas the podcast is very global or universal. <laughs> but uh, aside from having like an overview of Creature Features and the legacy of the show and how it was brought back and the people involved with keeping it alive, including yours truly, um, it also has all of John's interviews that he did over the years. So this makes it much more than just a local book. Yeah. Because you can read interviews with the likes of like Stephen King, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Ray Bradbury, Robert Block, Adam West, Christopher Reeve, Bruce and Brandon Lee, Chris Carter, who created the X-Files, Noel Neal, who was Lois Lane on the original Superman TV show, Erwin Allen, who created Lost in Space and the Jupiter 2, um, Ridley Scott, Stanley, and a bunch of others. So it's a very cool book. It's uh, available through Amazon. You can also get it directly from Mr. Stanley. And we'll put a, a link or two in the, uh, in the show notes on the website. And uh, definitely something worth running out and picking up. It's a soft cover book. Feels good in your hands, and uh, it's uh, about 250 pages, so. Nice. Nice, beefy book. Thank you, Chief. There you go. All right, kids. It was a good show. We had a lot of fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Draws us to a close. Peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Space. We're leaving Mother Earth to save the human race. Ah.
Star Blazers. Searching for a distant star, heading off to Iskandar, leaving all we love behind. Who knows what dangers we'll find? We must be strong and brave. Our home we've got to save. If we don't, in just one year, Mother Earth will disappear. Fighting with the Gamelons, we won't stop until we've won. Then we'll return, and when we arrive, the Earth will survive with our Star Blazers. Second start of the ride. And straight on till morning. 